Welcome to the Ancestral Kitchen Podcast with Allison, a European town dweller in central Italy, and Andrea living on a newly created family farm in Northwest Washington State, USA. Pull up a chair at the table and join us as we talk about eating, cooking, and living with ancient ancestral food wisdom in a modern world kitchen. Hey, Allison. Good morning. Hey, good afternoon, Andrea. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we need to reverse our greetings, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I'm pretty stoked to sit down and record today. And before we kick off, I just want to say, oh my word, huge thank you to the patrons because we officially announced it on the podcast. You know, it only went out, what, an episode or two ago? I forget, but yeah. Um, as of this recording time. So um, I don't know. It's just so cool to think that there's people out there who uh, love talking about ancestral food, love hearing about it, love learning about it, and want to help us get this message out to other people. And I'm really, really grateful for those patrons that are basically making this podcast happen. It's a huge deal. Yes, so. me too. I'm, I'm really been encouraged by the fact that it's not been out there for long. And yet people have stepped up and said, yeah, we like what you're doing and we want to help you continue doing it. And that feels so warm and encouraging for sure. Absolutely. And Alison and I, as our gratitude for you, amazing patrons, and really as a thank you from all the listeners, because I know all the listeners are grateful to the patrons for making this show up in our phones. um, We are just working on all the extra little bonus content that we can just to say thank you for uh, you making this happen. So make sure you check that private podcast feed. Um, We are kind of just throwing up extra content as we create it. So you might see some unscheduled, unexpected little goodies drop in there. So just Mm -hmm. go ahead and enjoy that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's so it's been fun to do some extra bits, another excuse to just add some more I and talk know. some more. There's just so much that needs to be shared and discussed and talked about. There's, there's um, a lot that we want to start opening conversations with, with farmers and um, home cooks and everybody who's involved in this world. So it's really great to have that Patreon feed to be able to just put the extra content up for people yeah. to enjoy. So thank you again, Allison. Yeah. This is going to be a fun episode talking about <laughs> <laughs> um, the notes I sent you said, who's been looking in my fridge? Because, yeah. um, we just wanted to talk about what is literally in our refrigerators right now. I love hearing homesteaders and, you know, home preservers talk about their larders and their pantries all the time, but nobody really talks about walking in the kitchen, opening their refrigerator and looking at what's on the shelf right this instant. <laughs> I'm kind of nosy about fridges. I like it when Me I go too. to people's houses. I like to just have a nose in their fridges. Obviously yeah. now everyone whose house I'm going to go to is going to be worried that I'm <laughs> nosing in their fridge. But, you know, I like nosing in people's fridge and I figure, well, if I like it, other people might want to nose in my fridge. So let's open my fridge and show. You know, I've posted a, a couple times, either in my stories or on my Instagram, just opened my refrigerator door, snap a picture and post it. And for whatever reason, those posts are enormously popular. So I think 
you're right. You're not the only one. We all want to know what's going on in your fridge because it's a real snapshot into an actual day in the life. Like what is literally happening at this moment, um, you know, versus, Hey, here's a cute Instagram picture of, you know, a meal I prepared. That's all well and good, but what is happening on the day-to-day basis? That's what we want to know. So before we head down that road, I want to know if you had lunch yet. Yeah. Yeah. I've had lunch. We had um, some heart, which cow's heart, which we cooked at the weekend in the slow cooker. You know, my favorite way of doing heart. Yes. Yeah. And um, there was just a big chunk in the fridge. I froze some too, because it freezes extremely well, Good. but we got a big chunk in the fridge. So we're working our way through that. So I had some cold sliced cow heart with some cabbage from our local market, which I just boiled straight. It's quite a light mm-hmm. cabbage, so it was it was really um, not too strong, nicely flavoursome. And some sourdough spelt bread, which we spread with our home rendered lard, yes. which comes from the same farm that the heart came from. It has pigs and cows there and, and others, but both of those. And then some sauerkraut and some fermented garlic on the side. Oh, that sounds really good. Do you ever make like herbed or salted lard? Do you ever mix things into that before you spread it? Not yet. I've seen people do that, Mm. but I haven't tried it. I do sometimes put lard on bread and then put salt on top of it. But that's not as posh as kind of putting herbs or things like that in in it. Um, I might get to doing that one day, but I think our effort goes into actually rendering the lard yeah. because it's a yeah. big kind of all day process and then really finding the space in the fridge and the freezer for it mm. um, which you'll see when you get to my list of fridge it's quite uh, <laughs> I, hard I, yeah. doors <laughs> can't wait and then after that <laughs> we just I, I just love um pastured or pigs that have been out and treated really well the lard that you get from them is just incredible it, yeah. it's it's just wonderful. And to have it on bread, on homemade sourdough bread, I kind of feel like I don't need anything else. Mm. Yeah. I have not seen people mix herbs or salt in, but when you, you always say you spread it on, it just made me think of butter and some people mix herbs yeah. in. But, you know, what about breakfast and you? <laughs> what? I have not had breakfast <laughs> yet. <laughs> I did um, eat a hard boiled egg because I just needed some kind of calories in me. Um, but, I can tell you what I ate last night. It was amazing. Okay, woman. And I made just a simple lentil stew. And it's just, um, I I knew I wanted to make lentil stew today or yesterday. So I had gone to the farm stand and got celery because that was kind of, I feel like you need that in lentils. But so I had celery, onion, carrots, and I sauteed it in a little bit of lard that we rendered. And then, um, let's see, I threw in, I had a half a gallon of bone broth from making or cooking one of our roosters. And then I had, um, I threw in some green peas and some brown lentils and a little bit of salt. And I think that was it. And so did you soak all your lentils before? You know, I have gone back and forth on soaking them. Sometimes I feel like when I soak them, they just turn into paste when I cook them. I don't know if I'm doing something wrong. So I didn't soak them and I, and they, and they still cooked up so quickly. I don't know. Are you supposed to soak lentils? I don't know. I do. I don't know about the supposed to. I do because (laughs) 
I seem to think it goes down better, but you're right. Yeah, they do right. tend to cook up into a mush because the lentils that we have are um, have the holes taken off. The Italian yeah. word came to yeah. mind, but I had to yeah. struggle to find the English, the English way of saying <laughs> that. Um, and so because of that, they disintegrate really quickly. Yeah. Yeah. But um, we kind of don't mind the mush. So. That's true. I have also done like half soaked and half not to try to get the the texture oh. that I'm going for. So I don't know. I flip flop back and forth, but I didn't soak these ones. Um, and oh man, I, we served it over some rice and mm. it was just perfect. Honestly, it was so delicious and filling and um, it tastes like I worked so hard on it. And I think it's just because of that amazing bone broth is so thick you know it's almost like jello dropping into the pot when i poured it in and it just has so much flavor in it so simple fast well i guess i do have some lentils soaking on the side Hmm. to be cooked tomorrow they're in water now Um, and i often like to put turmeric and kind of cumin and that kind of spices in it as i cook perfect Um, but if i do have bone broth to hand i'll throw that in which yeah. yeah, it just gives it that wonderful flavor. Yeah, there's just something missing when you don't use bone broth that tastes just, I don't know, like you can spice it up, but it's always a little like wateriness mm-hmm. to it somehow. Yeah. Versus it just the thickness of the Yeah. Okay, so I want to say your fridge. <laughs> I'm really curious. Um, and curious, not nosy. That's a nice way of saying. <laughs> I'm nosy and curious. Uh, so, but I'm also just excited because just every time we talk, you're an education for me. So, I know that you telling me what is your normal is going to be really, really great information for me. So, um, yeah, that's Great. Perfect. And hopefully this will be interesting for the listeners and maybe, um, maybe we can get you guys to, Oh no, I think I just bumped the microphone again. Um, maybe we can get you guys to, um, post, post a picture of the inside of your fridge and maybe tag ancestral yeah, kitchen podcast so we can see what's in your yeah. fridge. That yeah. would be so cool. All right. So Allison, why don't you read me off? I know you made a list of what's in your fridge. Why don't you read off the list and then I'll read off mine and then we'll go back and pick through them a little bit. Okay. That sounds like a good structure. Okay. So we're off. I've got quite a long list. We've got some organic unpasteurized rice miso and some organic unpasteurized barley miso. Um, Both of those I bought. There's a rice aldo starter. There's some fresh ginger. There's a little jar of homemade facial moisturizer um, which i use there's ghee there's ground linseed there's olives capers and butter all three of those are bought there's a millet sourdough starter there's some lemon juice that we just squeezed there's beer yeast which is on a grain inside a container there's some milk kefir grains there's some mustard there's fermented cod liver oil Uh, there's some jars of homemade wild beer some bottles of homemade wild beer there's two containers of fermented garlic. There's some suens, which is a liquid of a Scottish oat ferment. Mm. Um, there's some eggs. There's a jar of homemade casein paint binder, <laughs> which I'm not going to imbibe. That's an artistic paint binder that I use to make paint with natural pigments. Okay, we're going to need to link um, your art site because I don't, I don't know if people realize that you're an artist. 
I mean, if they look at your Instagram, they'll instantly figure it out. But we're going to need to link your art website. I think there's going to be quite a few links in the show. (laughs) Probably. Then we've got um, chocolate. So I've got some homemade 100% cacao chocolate that I went from um, bean to bar. And then some 95-ish percent um, cacao chocolate, which was made by us for my son. Then there's a, a jar hanging around at the back with some flower buds, which I picked from dandelions and fermented Ooh. last year, trying to make kind of like some capers, because capers and mm-hmm. flower buds. But I haven't actually eaten them yet because at the last minute I wasn't sure that it was exactly <laughs> the right species of oh, no. dandelion, and I was a bit worried. So I'm kind of putting out vibes for some foraging expert to come towards me and tell me, show me a load of other stuff, but tell me in that process whether these whether these capers are actually <laughs> So they're at the back of the fridge. I couldn't bring myself to throw them away. There's some leftover mutton stew. Mm. There's some spent beer grain, which we used to make beer, and now I'm going to um, make that into a bread. Put it in my bread. There are some rolled oats that I've fermented and are ready to cook. There's some ground whole grain barley that we ground at home that again has fermented. And that one, the oats that I just mentioned are going to be cooked into porridge. The whole grain barley is going to be cooked into a polenta. Mm. There are two jars of home rendered lard, some cooked lentils. There's Boza, the probiotic millet drink that I make, and a Boza starter. There's a ginger bug. There's some sauerkraut. There's some sediment of rye from beer making, which I will cook into porridge. There's something called swats, which is the secondary part of the Suen's Scottish oat ferment. This is the kind of the crumbs. That, again, I make into a porridge. Mm, yum. Then from the local growers market, we've got red currants, apricots, tomatoes, lettuce, plums, beets, the greens from the beets that I've chopped off the top, ready for cooking, carrots, cabbage, lemons, radish. And last but not least, there are some fegatelli, which are an Italian kind of meat speciality that we might get to. And that's it. And the door just about closes. <laughs> that's it, huh? That's all? <laughs> yeah, that's all. I'm wow. very good at organizing yeah. spatially. <laughs> I see that. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, I have so many questions. So we're going to, I really can't wait to go back through that. Uh, let me spit out my list real quick. Um, yeah, and do, then we'll do. go back over that. Cause yeah, I have a lot. We need, we need to discuss this. Okay. We have a lot of overlap, but a lot of difference too. Okay. I've got some dried starter cultures. Um, Leslie, if you're listening, those are yours. They're just waiting to get mailed to one of our listeners who's in a different country and wasn't able to get um, starters by mail. Okay. There's some um, garlic dill kraut, bread and butter pickles that we made, um, sriracha that I made um, in 2014. <laughs> Fermented foods. Good my son's born. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's aged. Um, some maple creamer that I made. I can, I think I have a link to that recipe I can put in the show notes. Um, maple syrup, six bottles of water kefir, some escabeche, pickled beets, raw milk, some store-bought sour cream, um, a jar of sourdough start backup, 
Um, then I found another bottle of water kefir. I was making this <laughs> list. Some soured cream. So just raw cream that went sour in the jar. Half a gallon of yogurt, some homemade applesauce, a jar of 20 egg whites. Don't even remember what I was making that I needed all those yolks. Pickled jalapenos, um, some homemade truffles that Colleen made, jar of turkey fat, another bottle of water kefir, organic <laughs> cold brew, uh, homemade another homemade hot sauce, not fermented, just canned, homemade apple jelly, pumpkin oatmeal casserole that's waiting to go in the oven and get baked, leftover oatmeal casserole, leftover pumpkin custard, <laughs> um, uh, store-bought organic miso, turkey noodle soup, <laughs> fermented mustard that I made almost a year ago. It's getting down. It's moved into a smaller jar and a smaller jar. <laughs> it's getting whittled down. Vanilla beans, tomato corn salsa that we made last year, store-bought butter, another jar of sauerkraut, spelt sourdough, some eggplant, sotto olio, fermented carrots, a rye starter, uh, lemon juice and lime juice that we bought, um, like already juiced, a jar of baba ganoush we made and froze a ton last year, some red kimchi that Colleen made, uh, so, so good. We're running out of that, but it's delicious. Um, some kefir, some kefir grains that I stuck in the fridge overnight because I didn't have time to put milk in them. Um, a separated quart of cream, some carrot salad, leftover tomato sauce from making some homemade pizzas. I found another jar of escabeche. I guess I opened <laughs> two. Some store-bought carrots um, from the farm stand and also some celery, uh, store-bought cheese, block of cheese from the store, and a bottle of store-bought orange juice. Eggs. I have a drawer where I put boxes of eggs that I date, and then they have to sit there and age before I can boil them. Um, a bunch of supplements, just one drawer with Ningxia Red, Ningxia Nitro, probiotics, MindWise, milk thistle, magnesium drops, fermented cod liver oil, and mineral drops, um, some animal rennet, homemade CBD muscle rub, a little maple drink infusion that I made. <laughs> like, okay, now we're up to like three gallons of powdered eggshells, <laughs> um, cooked lentils, leftover butter frosting from Jacob's birthday. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. Um, and then when you read your list, I, by the way, after I did my list, I realized I left out an entire shelf in two drawers. I forgot, no. but but they had kind of similar things as you, some fermented garlic, um, some fermented coffee, um, and a bowl of cracklins and a ginger bug. So yeah, there we go. That's what's in the fridge. <laughs> so some overlap, but actually quite a lot of very different yeah. things. Yeah, which is funny because we are in two different states, or two different states, wow, two different countries. Um, so you can kind of see a little regionality, but also a lot of similarities. So does that mean like our taste preferences are the same or is it because we're both um, like pulling from the same kind of heritage history? I don't know. I'm interested to see why we have so much overlap. So um, where do you want to start digging into these? Well, I actually want to hit on something on yours, right? I'm going to actually start. Okay. I have yours written down in front of me. So I'm going to start at the top. Um, first of all, I, 
I guess I didn't realize miso could be made from different things. You said you have oh, rice yeah. miso and a barley miso. I had only ever yeah. heard of a soy miso. Oh, wow. So I did yeah, not even no. know. When I, when I first got into miso, I didn't really know anything about how it was made. And, and I saw the word soy in it and I thought, oh, I don't yeah. know what's wrong with it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but obviously it's been ridiculously fermented. Yeah. Yeah, you can make miso out of virtually anything. I mean, okay. some people... I've seen recipes online for making miso out of old bread. And, and I just, mm. I really want to have a go at making miso, but it's a long, generally it's a long process. You can yeah. make it short and then it's sweeter. But if you okay. want it how I like it, you've got to ferment it for about a year. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah generally I, I eat the barley one. I prefer that flavor, but I tried a rice one as well, just to, to see what I thought. Seems like the rice would be a little more bland, is it? Or no? It, I don't know if it's it's a different um, company making it. So obviously mm. the process is oh, different. Yes, but the can. rice one seemed darker when you look at it and just mm. didn't have the aliveness of the barley one. Yeah. Mouth. So I, I prefer the barley. Miso is definitely one of those products I want to tackle one day. Um, I just have not yet. But yeah, see, what I figure is soy... Soy is a plant, you know, it's from nature. There has to be good versions of it somewhere. You know what I mean? Like I don't, I don't want to demonize it because an industry has um, turned it into a genetically modified, unrecognizable product. Um, So I don't want to be like, soy must never touch my lips, but um, it's just, it is one of those things that's virtually impossible for humans to digest as far as I have ever read. And yeah fermenting it for a year seems to be about one of the only ways to break it down enough yeah. that we can eat it there's some good recipes in um the wild fermentation by sandal cats yeah there is so i think one, when i get to it i'll probably start there yeah i think that's the first place where i realized oh you can actually make your own mm. miso and um have we if anybody has their water kefir drinking game going, we just mentioned um, wild fermentation. So you are taking a shot now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we've Talking made it. Talking of water keys, <laughs> you keep your you keep your water kefir in the um, in the fridge. We oh don't. yeah, you don't. Wow, <laughs> like, oh, she keeps her water kefir in the fridge. No, we keep we second ferment ours into the bottle. Okay, and you know the swing top bottle. Put the lid on it, and then I put it back on the shelf with the first ferment fermenting mm. stuff and we go through one liter a day so basically yeah. we've got two usually we've got two <coughs> bottles on Excuse the go me. and two jars on the go mm. um and yeah we just serve it room temperature we don't we don't keep it in okay fridge. do you keep yours in the fridge for a reason well i mm, i've exploded a jar of kombucha one time and um Ever since then, I've kind of tended to stick my drinks in the fridge. <laughs> yeah, that's never um, happened to us. So if if I, yeah, that that's nice, Allison. <laughs> if I if I could be more organized, maybe um, to know that that would have happened. But I I have um, a disorder. I I heard a podcaster refer to it as T pad time passage awareness disorder. Thank you, Dana. <laughs> Dana White, if you are familiar with that. Um, it's where I think it's been a day and it's actually been like two weeks. <laughs> it has happened so, in my life. Like I thought my son was born yesterday. I was I think no, he was born seven years oh, ago. Was it twenty like, years ago? Right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe we are drinking too much water, Kavir. Um <laughs> okay. Also, you said rice sourdough starter. I wanted to make sure everybody knows, Allison, you have a great link um on making that. Yeah, thank you. So I um I 
always keep my um, gluten sour starter because I've got a millet one as well. Uh-huh. And my gluten one, I've just learned that rye works the best. And I keep it quite um, not very hydrated. So I don't keep it 100% hydration. I usually keep it around 65, 70 because it lasts okay. longer that way and doesn't oh. need refeeding. So I make a rye starter, which is 60 to 70% hydration. I don't really measure it anymore. Um, but then I put that in the fridge and it will stay in the fridge without needing feeding for a week, sometimes 10 days. Oh, that's um, great. If I haven't used it from then, often I get it out for pancakes yeah. and, you know, souring other stuff. Um, but yeah, there's a link to how to produce a rye starter quite simply on my website, which we'll put in the show notes. Yeah. yeah. Um, that That is great because I know a lot of people who want to start ferments that don't have access to, you know, Ah, man, I just hit the microphone again. I'm really, I'm really trying listeners <laughs> to not hit the Sit microphone. on your hands. <laughs> Sit, Sit on, on my hands. hands. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so anyways, I need to like hang it from the ceiling or something. <laughs> but um, yeah, we'll link that in. I also know I, if I'm wondering, other people are going to wonder too, homemade facial moisturizer. Mm-hmm. Is that mm-hmm. just like a simple one item thing or is there a recipe somewhere? Like, what is this all about? It was an experiment that didn't go very well, Uh-oh. but I'm still using it. Um, I found a, a, a recipe, wanted okay. a better word, online, and I got some local beeswax to, to use as the emulsifier because you need emulsifier to get okay. the fat, which I used almond oil, to mix with the water. So you don't just have, you know, kind of neat fat that you're like slathering onto your face. Yeah. And um, in order to mix the two, you need an emulsifier. And the first blog post that I read said beeswax. So my local friend, my friend here has got bees and makes honey. So I asked her for some beeswax. She delivered the beeswax after I could stop sniffing it because it smells Uh like the most amazing thing you have ever, ever smelled. Yeah. I managed to bring myself to melt some down and make it into moisturizer. (laughs) And it kind of didn't work. The water kind of came to the top. And so I went back and read more posts. And then I learned that, Actually, beeswax is not a very good emulsifier and you shouldn't be using it. You should be using these other emulsifiers. And I've never really got round, I haven't yet, mm. to getting some other emulsifier and trying again. However, it still works as a moisturiser. It's just a bit thick. So I tend oh. to put it on when I'm not particularly going out for the day so I don't look like, you know, I've got a massive beastly face. Maybe but like it, a bedtime moisturizer. Yeah, it would be a good bedtime moisturizer. And it's really good for like your elbows or if you've got a bit of dry skin because you've been out in the sun a bit too long or mm. needing on the floor doing something. Yeah. It's a nice kind of balmy feeling. Yeah. And it smells really nice. And, you know, we, and I, yeah, I am using it. Of course. You're like, I'm not wasting this. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Um, we've made some salves and I, I emulsified the fats with a beeswax and it made this amazing creamy consistency. So, um, mm. like I'm absolutely obsessed with it. So I wonder why, and I, I, yeah, I just did something wrong because it was the first time, you know, you see that I do yeah. make mistakes. No, I guess so. <sighs> <laughs> what, what about your CBD muscle rub? Tell us about that because that's a oh, similar thing. Well, my cousin made it for me. So I actually don't know how she made it. Um, but she used, I think, goat milk or something and um, like an extract, like a CBD extract. So um, it's really nice, but I don't know how she made it. So unfortunately, I can't give you any details. <laughs> it sounded really interesting. And, yeah. You know, always when there's kind of some muscle rub, 
yes. involved, I'm, I'm in, you know, if you want to rub right. me with something and, and help my muscles, then that's fine. I'm right. That is something also that I guess we should mention you'll notice in a lot of um, like non-commercial homes or like, I don't know what the word is ancestral. Everybody lives in an ancestral home because you have ancestors, but you'll see non-food things in the fridge. So because we're making a lot of things at home that don't have preservatives in them and the way, the way you make your facial moisturizer shelf staple is you put a ton of toxic (laughs) preservatives in it. So that's probably something you might notice in some people's fridges, weird little homemade (laughs) things. Okay. All right. Um, I do have another question. I just want to hit on this since you were talking about the rice sourdough starter. So you have the rice sourdough starter and the millet sourdough starter. Can you just Mm -hmm. talk about the difference between those two for a second? Yeah, of course. So the rice sourdough starter is made of 100% rye. So it's got, it's a gluten grain. It's got gluten in. And I use it for my rye breads and I use it for my spelt breads. I don't make a separate spelt starter usually. When I make spelt bread, I use a rye starter. Why? The millet starter. Go ahead. Why not a spelt starter? Why do you not do a spelt one? Because I really like rye starters. I think they they tend to rise more than spelt does. And I like... I like what they impart, so I just stick with yeah. it simple. I like it simple. Yeah. Cool. The millet, so millet is a grain, it's obviously gluten free, but it's also lectin free. And my son is to a greater or lesser extent, more on the greater side, lectin sensitive. Okay. So I started that in order to be able to make breads that were lectin free. And so I use that to make. Um, millet and sorghum sourdoughs and I also use it where we're fermenting perhaps some millet or some sorghum into a porridge or into a polenta Mm. bread I'll use that as the start in the mix so the entire recipe is um, lectin free and gluten free Um, so I keep those two separate they're they're kind of similar things to maintain The, the millet doesn't go as kind of gloopy as the rye one does. You don't have to put as much water in it. And the millet one tends to last a bit longer as well. Mm. Um, but they're just two jars and I just, you know, I keep keep an eye on both of them and use them for yeah. separate purposes. Do you date your jars like the day you last fed them or whatever, or do you just no. kind of eyeball it? Just wing it. Yeah. <laughs> I just, um, I kind of, Sometimes I'm using them kind of every day, every other day. So by the time I've spooned everything out of it, it's kind of, there's a little bit left and I have to make it yeah. and I've used it before it's gone you can and I needed a feed anyway. And other times I just, you know, once or twice a week, I think, oh, hang on, how long's that starting in there? And I'll take the jerk, the lid off, smell it. Mm-hmm. If it smells really vinegary, then I'll refresh it and use what, you know, the discard in something that day um, and then pop it back in the fridge. I've never... I, once I had an issue with the top of the rye starter going mouldy oh. when we moved, but that really was because we were kind of moving and houseless, homeless for yeah. a period of, of weeks. And so, oh, so were you I wasn't not able to it? give a stable. Yeah, I wasn't able to give it a stable thing. And I kind of forgot mm-hmm. about it because we were in crisis and moving houses. Yeah. And, but in the end, all I did with that was I took the, I looked at it and I could see the mould wasn't green or black or red yeah it was just this white stuff on the top so yeah. I took 
95% of it off, maybe even more than that. Yeah. And then just started again with what was at the very bottom and it was fine. Yeah. Okay. I feel less bad about myself because I've done that too. <laughs> of course, I, I really actually don't get to feel less bad about myself because it wasn't moving or anything like that. It just molded. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I, hey, okay. you've got animals to look after. <laughs> yeah. I do remember moving one time and uh, my friend, my friend was driving with me and she was laughing because we were sitting in the parking lot and I was like on the hood of my car with little bags of flour mixing sourdough starter. And she was like, what are you doing? I was like, this is my child. I must keep it alive. <laughs> yes. yes. When we bought, when we came to Italy, we brought the sourdough starter like, with us. Oh, and she's like, I have to keep the sourdough starter. It's coming yeah. all the way from Cornwall to Italy. <laughs> it's like our thread. I was so paranoid that I was going to kill it because I... I, it was the first one I had started. I had kept it going for a while and I, I really wasn't sure if I could start another one. You know, I didn't really trust myself. And I, I had bought pineapple juice to start it. Um, and I, I was like, I I don't even know if I'll be able to afford pineapple juice again. So I was like, I have to keep this alive. (laughs) It was, it was kind of funny. Um, and then also I'm just looking at your list and you said beer, yeast on the grain. Um, so do you mean you have, uh, a jar of grain with beer yeast sitting on it? Yeah. So what my, my beer, my beer knowledge is developing literally hour by hour almost. Mm. And previously I've been making beer to a recipe of Sandor's in his world fermentation. There we are. Another another mention of that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and in that, I use sourdough starter because that's what the recipe said. And it makes a very sour beer. And I'm starting to learn about um, beer starters and how the bacteria produce the sour flavour, the yeasts produce fermentation without the sour flavour. So I wanted to experiment. Instead of recreating a sourdough starter every time I make a beer, I thought, well, I've got all this yeast in the bottom of the beer. It must be alive. You know, people put, like we've talked about on the um, kitchen tables, our Patreon podcast, people yeah. used to put bits of wood in the beer and then hang them out yeah. to dry afterwards and then use them as the starter next time. So I thought, well, there must be yeast all over these grains in the bottom of this beer. So I decided to um, do a little test and I put a section apart last time we made beer. And instead of putting sourdough starter in it, I put some old grains in, in the previous batch, like a backslot. And the beer was nice and it wasn't as sour as the previous batches. So I thought, okay, I prefer this beer like this. So now what I've done is I've kept a big chunk of the grains that were in the beer from the last batch, which have that yeast on them, which is more developed than the sourdough starter I put in neat at the beginning of the process. Hmm. And I'm going to use that to inoculate the next batch of beer and try doing it without any sourdough starter and see what happens. Okay. So interesting that you're doing that because I, uh, um, over the last couple of weeks, we watched this docu-series called uh, Tudor Monastery Farm. I don't know if you've seen it or heard about it. No, I haven't. It's kind of cute. And they just sort of like, like they dress up and tutor clothes and they kind of show this is what it would be like for living in a year on a tutor monastery farm. And, mm-hmm. um, 
I thought there was lots of little things on it where I thought, oh, Allison would love that. Or, oh, Allison talked about that in the beer book, you know, and she had a little like pot of what I think she called it wart. <laughs> I think yeah, exactly what it's called. Yeah. Okay. So she said it was, she said, this is some of my kind of like dredges from making beer last time. And I'm going to use it to kickstart this batch or, okay. you know, she said it in a kind of British way, <laughs> but um, that was the essence of what she said. So that makes me think of when you said beer yeast on the grain, that yeah, made it's the same thing. Yeah. Um, the same thing. I want to have my own culture. I don't want to have to make yeah. a sourdough starter. I'm making beer every time. I want to reuse the yeast. I mean, yeah. because they're adapted to my environment, and yeah. my grain that I'm using. And I'm really excited to be able to just make it kind of out of nothing. Yeah. Well, for the um, patrons who are listening, if you listen to Kitchen Table Chat, I think it was number three, where Allison, where you read those heretical rules of beer making, Um, like just remember that this is, this is not a, I mean, it is a complex scientific process, but it's not a complex scientific process in the sense that this is just something that is supposed to be a part of um, you know, your daily or your weekly routine making, yeah. you know, what is it, whatever we drink, like two gallons or a gallon and a half of beer a day or something like that, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and so it doesn't need to be, if, if you, if you feel like it's really hard, we're probably overthinking it because it should be simple enough that in the relatively unsanitary conditions, you can <laughs> slop your ingredients in and mm-hmm. end up with a, you know, delicious, drinkable product. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'll ask a question about your fridge now. Mm, yeah, no, I'm just going to say, all these I'll, questions like- I'll link, there's a, there's a like um, blog or whatever that the Tudor Monastery people did about each episode. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll yeah. link that in the show notes. Okay, it's go, like fire, shoot. <laughs> so I will, first of all, I wanted to ask you about your um, casseroles because it seems like there's been a lot of things around your casseroles recently on Instagram. I've been seeing pictures. And yeah. I see you've got a leftover one, two leftover right. things, and one waiting to bake. And there's pumpkin and custard involved. Right. And so what, I wanted to ask how that works or how that's working for you. Yeah. Okay. So what it what it is kind of developing for me? I mean, obviously only a couple of weeks into really using breakfast casseroles, but what. I've been finding is I, I kind of have my days mapped out. Like we have, have a rhythm that we follow and this one gap in the day that keeps not working. This huge chunk is kind of breakfast because I like to get out and do the animal chores, but then, and then come in, but then I'm starting breakfast and even the relatively fast breakfast, you know, you still feel like you're standing there for a while. Um, and then by the time it's done and eat, it's been quite a bit since I got up. So, yeah. yes. Hi. Um, so what I've been finding is if I make these breakfast casseroles, and I'll link to the um, blog where I found them. But when I make these breakfast casseroles, they sit and basically ferment overnight. And then um, the next morning... I slide it in the oven, cold oven, turn the oven on, and then I go out, do the animal chores. And then by the time I come back in, it's been the exact amount of time for it to finish. The kids can set the table themselves either the night before, I'll have them do it when they do their evening chores, or they can set the table while I'm outside doing the animals. 
And then when I walk in, I basically pull it out and we sit down and immediately like we just wash hands and eat. And for whatever reason that has been solving like <laughs> I've got 99 problems and a late breakfast is <laughs> like the root of them all. So um, this has been solving a lot of problems because we can jump straight to the next part of the day a lot faster. And um, because of the fact that like we're basically running the farm and we have several small businesses that we run out of our home and I'm the adult on campus, you know, like Gary's usually gone. So um, in fact, right now, every single morning he's gone. So um, it it's incumbent on me to somehow make it happen and make the animals happen. And then anything business related happen. And then kids, kids, chores, kids, school, you know, household things. So kind of in a way, this was my mother's helper solution. So what we do is I mix up the, the recipe came from a mom with nine kids. Okay. So it's more than we need, but what I do is I divide it into three pans. And then, um, if I make a breakfast casserole one morning, like yesterday, I made the oatmeal casserole. So it made three pans, but then the next day I can make a different breakfast casserole and divide it into three pans. And then I can flip flop them and rotate them the week. You know what I'm saying? So I'm making breakfast twice a week, but it's providing yeah. all these different breakfasts. week. Yeah. And inevitably we don't end up finishing something someday or other. So then there's leftovers that pop up and I just, you know, kind of toast them or make them into something else, you know? So yeah, yeah. yeah we'll see how it goes. So far it's working. It sounds like it's um, really, yeah, created it. You've created a routine around it, which serves you, which is really right. important. And it's kind of similar to you've got those casseroles. I've got kind of leftovers from the beer. I've got oats that have been fermenting for ages. I've got yeah. other stuff that's been, that's in there and that I will cook up as porridge, which is a bit more, mm. more kind of um, manual. But it's a similar idea of just having it in the fridge right. and then it's available for you. Yeah. So do you and drink your cold brew coffee with that when you when you have your breakfast? Sometimes. I don't always drink coffee. You've got cold brew in the fridge as well. Yeah. Yeah. I don't always drink coffee, but um sometimes I like to have um coffee with breakfast. Um and then I also make coffee for my friend who I usually get milk from. Her cows aren't in milk right now, but um I'm still bringing her milk because she still has to take care of the gals or I'm still bringing her coffee, you know? So whenever I meet her to pick up milk, usually I'll drop off a couple little homemade things as kind of a thank you. So, um, I try to make, we have, um, in the morning, I just, I thought about the coffee because it, when I was thinking about our routine with kind of mm -hmm. making porridges or polentas in the morning, Rob has coffee in the morning. I don't drink coffee he roasts his own green beans as you know so yeah he roasts them like once a week probably and then he keeps them and they're not um, roasted like you would find from kind of a commercial roaster at all he has kind of learned to do them so they're kind of halfway between green beans and normal beans mm -hmm. and then he makes his coffee every morning um, mm. and he sits there drinking his coffee usually and sometimes reading to Gabriel while I am make the, the porridge that often happens. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're kind of coffee in here, but also like you a bit different. Not yeah. Standard coffee. Well, I feel like um, the cold brew 
part of the reason why I don't drink coffee often is because it, <laughs> it could send me over the edge. Um, it either, you know, gives me anxiety or I start talking really fast and we already know that I have problems with talking fast. So, <laughs> <laughs> so then it gets worse. And, um, but I've noticed, or shall I say, Colleen and Sabrina have noticed that when I drink hot coffee, they're like, what did you do? Because you're vibrating. Nice. <laughs> so I feel like the cold brew is maybe a little less caffeine. I also like yeah. the flavor better. I feel like it's a little less acidic tasting. It's a little smoother, which is not to say that I don't also like a hot cup of coffee every once in a while, but I just prefer cold brew. And the pumpkin custard that you're having mm. with that breakfast, is that why you've got all those egg whites in, in the fridge? Because you used the egg yolks for the custard or you said you kind of said you couldn't remember why the egg whites. Yeah. <laughs> no, I use the whole egg when I make um, the pumpkin oh. custard. So I, I think maybe the eggs were from when I made that big batch of chocolate ice cream. Um, I think that might be what it was from. I took all the yolks out for that honestly the egg whites probably need to go to the chickens i don't think i they're they're probably a little bit old at this point <laughs> so <laughs> so that then will maybe be chicken food or i'll scramble them and give them to the chicks or something <laughs> yeah, yeah i've got more questions for you should i fire or do you mm, fire? well let, let me give you a question real quick um okay milk if your grains so i noticed yeah. we both had grains in our fridge so i wanted to ask yeah. you is that just like taking a pause in between making a batch or yeah okay so we don't get we don't get milk um as much as you do because Rob has to run up the hill to get yeah. to bring it down and so when he's busy he can't go and do it and also we don't drink it as much because at the moment Gabriel doesn't drink milk oh okay. so um I don't make it as much because of that Rob's due to go up there and get some more soon yeah. Um, and then while we're not using them, sometimes I use the milk keeper grains to um, culture other types of milk. So mm. I'll often do, um, we, we buy this product, which is like a, a dehydrated coconut and you make yeah. it. So it's not so kind of high on the shipping of, you know, and packaging of all these uh -huh. kind of coconut milks. Um, and I ferment that with milk keeper grains for my son. Um, and then often we'll buy local milk, which is pasteurized and just feed the kefir grains mm -hmm. with it and then then get rid of the milk because we don't drink pasteurized milk at all. But we want to keep those kefir grains fit. So we need to right. feed them lactose yeah. quite often. Yeah. So in the break, sometimes they're in pasteurized milk and then they'll go in the fridge in water for a little while. And then hopefully soon we'll get some more raw goat's milk and pop them in there. So, yeah. yeah. And you, you said, yeah, I just keep mine. Yeah, exactly. I, I have a, a milk refrigerator in the garage. So we didn't even get yeah. to that fridge. <laughs> um, you mentioned, um, I think in our, you know, five cheapest foods podcast mm -hmm. episode that you sometimes strain out grains, suspend them in water and freeze them to store. Yeah. Um, so I, I did yeah, that, I with that with you. Mm -hmm. after, okay. After, after you said that, well, I just thought, you know, let me have this back up in here. Um, and I think yeah. I can make another one too, just so that, uh, if somebody says, Hey, do you have any grains for me? I could just hand them over that jar, cool. you know, have it ready to go. Um, you can do that with water keeper grains as well. I yeah. don't 
know if you um, heard Ellie put hers in the freezer, mm. Ellie from Ellie's Every Day, who we interviewed a few episodes back. Yeah. And hers were in the freezer for four years. Whoa. And she got them out and they still made water keeping. Yeah, I think she did it. Instagram so don't be afraid. Post about that, that, did she? Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think she did an Instagram post. So on. Oh, we eat yeah. our spare water keeper grains, though, so we never have any right right (laughs) okay tell me how gross this is i i was really glad that i froze some (laughs) i was really glad that i i can't wait for the bloopers episode i froze some of the water kefir grains and i was really glad that i did because then the next day um I strained out my water kefir, put the grains into a clean jar, you know, going out my kitchen. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to uh, make some, you know, sugar syrup basically to put in it. Doop to do. Turned around and the jar was like full of flies. <laughs> oh, really? Not quickly. It, it literally in no time at all. Um, like fruit flies, like a ton of fruit flies. Wow. And I, all I could think about was maggots. So I was kind of grossed out. So <laughs> I fed those to the chickens. So I need to go and take my frozen grains back out. And I guess I get to see if they work <laughs> right now. Yeah, um, hopefully they will. Yeah. Cause I didn't want to, you know, ferment a bunch of eggs. That's what I was afraid yeah. would happen. Yeah. No, I can understand that. Yeah. So, um, okay. More questions for you. You hit me with one. You hit me with one. What are bread, what are bread and butter pickles? <laughs> oh, I, <laughs> I don't know what the definition of them is. It's a recipe. This is bread and butter pickles. Um, maybe it's an American thing. They're really traditional over here. You see them. Um, I'm looking right now. You see them on uh, like grocery store shelves. You can buy them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I never liked them growing up because they have sweetness to them. And I thought they were the grossest thing ever. And then one day I made a batch of them and I made them kind of spicy and I have loved them ever since. So um, they're just a, I slice them and I use like equal amounts cucumber as onions. Um, So you get like tons and tons of sliced, like thinly shaved onions. And it just is all so good. Um, let's see. One of the first recorded uses of the bread and butter pickle sandwich. Oh, it's a depression era staple. So it is an American thing. Um, they're sweeter, less vinegary. Um, they apparently were first made in 1923. And and yeah. what do you eat? How do you eat them? How do you eat them? You just pile them on like a, um, like if you make sausages, you can, like, if you do say a pie, slice sausages, you can put the pickles on top, or if you make a sandwich, um, or if you have like a sausage in a bun, um, or, um, my grandma told me that when I give her jars of them, she said she just eats them with a fork. It's so good. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess whatever way you want. These, these ones aren't fermented though. These are just um, like vinegar pickles. Uh, the vinegar pickles. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But I, I might, if, if I can get my hands on some cucumber pickles this year, I would like to try my hand at making an actual mm-hmm. lacto fermented bread and butter pickle. I don't know if traditionally, since it's a modern recipe, I don't know if they've ever been yeah. fermented, but I don't see why you like couldn't the ferment them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why not? Okay. Then let me ask you a question. Do you guys take fermented cod liver oil like every day? Do you do that? Is it a thing? 
we we were taking it every day up until about two months ago when we decided that we had to kind of a big hoo-ha because we used to get it from England and then the Brexit thing happened at the end mm-hmm. of January and then we couldn't get anything shipped from England because the shipping oh. tax t- turned into an absolute Eey. nightmare and no one could send any goods across Europe. Oh. So we found it difficult to source it. So we've actually gone down to having it every other day. Yeah. Okay. But that is basically the only supplement we all, you know, we will take yeah. as a family. And yeah. um, we have the um, green pastures one, mm-hmm. the cinnamon tingle. Um, and yeah, we will take that every other day. So I saw it on your list as well, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, it's not been a, actually something we've done all the time. Um, it's kind of not not that it's new to us but we've not ever really been consistent in taking it so i was just curious how you guys yeah it's the thing we've taken we've been taking it for since before gabriel was born okay. i think and for a while we had the butter oil as well that um is green pastures but that is even more expensive than the fermented copper oh. oil um, and i i really like to try and get as much nutrition from my food rather mm-hmm. than from other sources and so I you know I'll go out of my way to nurture uh, a food source to make it more nutritious absolutely Um, and hone my kind of um, relationship with food so I'm not sabotaging what I'm doing by overeating or not eating properly yeah yeah I'd rather trust that the food that I'm eating gives me what I'll need rather than go towards supplements, loads of supplements. But mm-hmm. having said that, we are still we are still having the fermented olive oil. Yeah. Well, okay, I think um, every coastal, at least coastal, I suppose, by lakes too, but every coastal society that I can think of as far back as you can go, there's always some kind of fermented fish sauce I mean, you guys had, your Romans had garum, you know, Um, there's a traditional fermented like Salish fish sauce that people would make out here. I don't know if anybody makes any approximations nowadays. If I feel like you kind of are on your own, if you want fermented. And then of course, you know, there's fermented fish sauce that we're all familiar with, um, you know, from Korean dishes and things like that too. I just feel like everywhere there's fermented fish is just, it's a, it's a theme everywhere. And I, I posted on my Instagram. I think I posted it. Yeah. I posted on my Instagram a couple of weeks ago. Um, just some reel that somebody had shared of archeologists uncovering these urns of garum that had been preserved under water since Roman times. I mean, they were fermented and they were still, still preserved underwater. I was like, wow, fermented food really lasts a long time. <laughs> so, <laughs> you thought you're, you're thinking of the back of your fridge. It's been there for seven years old. Yeah. Don't you want a tablespoon of that for your starter? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it just seems like it's a pretty ubiquitous thing, some kind of fermented fish. So maybe we'll get around to, um, you know, fermenting fish one day. Yeah. Lots of Scandinavian, different traditional fermented fish. Yeah. Um, there's a Jewish traditional, uh, fermented fish. I, I don't know. It's just, it's everywhere. So there's gotta be benefits to it. Um, and there's gotta be ways to get it other than just fermented cod liver oil. So yeah, we'll figure. What about your supplements? 
I heard you oh, with supplements yeah. that I didn't even recognize when you, when you yeah. those. Most of those supplements come from Young Living. Um, so they kind of have like brand names, you know. Um, okay. And then the milk thistle is, and the cod liver oil are just, um, I, I think Hannah left the milk thistle here. Once you stay in here, because it's like a liver, liver cleanser or something. Um, and whenever I was doing gaps, I kept (laughs) like one eye, I would wake up and one eye would be bloodshot, like crazy bloodshot. And I wouldn't notice I'd be going about my day do do do, and Gary would be like, what happened to your eye? (laughs) Like, wait, what, why? (laughs) And then, you know, it lasts for a day or two and then go along. And then, you know, uh, next week I'd wake up and the other eye would be bloodshot. It was weird. So, um, when we were, we were trying to figure out what was going on and we thought maybe it was my liver. So she gave me some milk thistle. So okay. Okay, that, that explains yeah. it. I think. Yeah. And um, what's the escape? Did you call it escabeche? Escabeche. Yeah. That's, I don't the, know what that is. Yeah. That's a, um, Spanish, Spanish word. I'm not sure what it means. Um, but I, it's what I learned from, um, my friend, um, the one with 12 kids (laughs) and Mm -hmm. she, she would always make jars and jars of basically she would have whole jalapenos and chunks of carrot, some chunks of cauliflower, uh, you know, a couple of pieces of garlic, chunk of onion, just kind of mishmash, like big, huge whole pieces. Oh, it's so pretty in quart jars. It just looks absolutely gorgeous. But then she'd pop those open and whatever you're eating, you know, you just throw like a huge whole pickled jalapeno on top of your, you know, salad or um, whatever. I don't know, whatever you're eating, there's nothing that can't be fixed with a little jalapeno. <laughs> so um basically just copying based off of what she said i made a bunch of jars of those last summer and ah it's so good (laughs) so you've got quite a few things really that are are things that you could pick out and put a little bit on your dinner you know you've got that you've got the pickled beets you've got Mm. um the mustard Mm. you've got hot sauce you've got um sort of things the tomato corn salsa yeah you know, you've got your sauerkraut, obviously. You've got lots of things there that kind of will jazz up yeah. uh, a meal and give you something a bit zingy and a bit different to make it more yeah. interesting. Yeah, it's cool because you can take a really simple, um, quick, fast meal. And um, I think it was Lexi who pointed out, you know, she said, because um, I said, oh, yeah, sometimes you just do really fast food. And she goes, I noticed that you... Um, we'll have a lot of jars on your table. And I said, Oh yeah, I guess that's true. We, um, okay. So (laughs) I won't ask you about your flower buds. I'm sorry. (laughs) Don't poison yourself. (laughs) Um, the suins though, I did want to ask about that. Kids, you need to go upstairs. Do not open that door, please. I don't want the door opening and closing. Go. Okay. Then you're going to have to stay out there or go up around the other side of the house. I don't want the door opening and closing. Jacob, go out with her. Um, so I wanted to ask about the suins. I know that you are making the, or you made the Boza workshop. Um, yeah, that's right. So I wanted to ask about the suins. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. If, 
if that's something we can learn about as well? I'm, I'm hoping that okay. I'll be able to share that. Um, okay. It's more complicated than the boozer than the boza, What? Um, because there's more, there's kind of more processes involved. With the boza, all you do is you cook them in it, you mix it, and with some sugar, and you've got the starter, which you make once, and that will last forever, and then you leave it. Whereas the suins is more complicated because it uses traditionally it uses the crumbs that are off the sides of the rolled oats as they're being rolled, right. and you don't have to use them. If you don't have a way of rolling, rolling your own oats, you can buy some oat bran and mix it with some rolled oats and make it like that. But it requires to put a course together. It just needs me to kind of think, right, okay, well, what if someone's got this, but they haven't got that? If they've got this, but they haven't mm. got that. And I haven't got around to putting the course together yet. But it's a wonderful, such a wonderful drink. And then you end up with the liquid, which is probiotic and, and wonderful to drink. And you end up with the stuff at the bottom, which is like the most kind of beautifully fermented. I, I once said on, on here that it's like eating clouds, mm-hmm. um, the beautifully fermented porridge. And so it, it's a really wonderful ferment. And it's something we're doing all the time. We've always got either some that we've just done is on the go or it's just been put in the fridge. Um, and so I'm hoping that in the future I'll be able to share that process in, a, in another course. The, um, the fermented oats that are in the fridge that we and I listed are literally rolled oats with some sourdough starch in and water. And hopefully, fingers, my fingers are crossed, by the time this goes out, the, I've made a series of three videos on the... Um, porridge fermented porridge oats and also on the polenta that i've talked about quite a lot in this episode yeah. and then a polenta bread which is made directly from that polenta that's really easy yeah. i made a series of three videos of those which hopefully will be up on my homepage by the time this goes out which is just me talking through how to do it and those are things that we do all the time in the kitchen you know the stuff you heard of in the stuff in my fridge for all of them at the moment um, so yeah hopefully That'll be up soon as well. And then maybe in the future, a science course will be coming too, I hope. Yeah. You know, okay, you're making me think. Yeah, I, those courses are really helpful for for all of us, I think, because um, some of these details that are a little, you know, everybody's starting to learn to get into fermenting and whatnot. Um, but some of these ferments are a little bit more, uh, in depth, like you're saying, you know, you need to have the side product mm. and the byproduct and the leftover mm. and the scrap of all these different things, but we need to learn that. And I think as we're getting into the ancestral food kind of lifestyle, we're starting to have more of those things um, around and, and we need to hear about these things and we need to learn about them. So it's really good that you're bringing yeah. everyone's attention. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. I think it, you know, it, Suans was originally part of the Scottish Mm-hmm. kind of heritage and it was made from waste when people took their oats to be rolled at the right. mill right. they got their rolled oats back and then they got all this waste that was left in the bottom after the rolling yeah. Yeah. and that waste wasn't wasted they made this product yeah. with it and now I'm kind of um rolling my own oats and making another product with what's left over from the rolled oats yeah and it feels like though I'm not growing my own oats and sending them to a mill to be um, milled and, and getting a sack back of the crumbs. Right. It feels really right that I'm I'm doing this and using all of the product and yeah. doing it in a way that's traditional. It yeah. just makes it a little bit more complicated to explain. So. Yeah. 
but we're getting there as we get closer into the, yeah. I mean, you have to remember we're trying to bring back elements, you know, where you're supposed you you know, realistically you would have generations of, you know, tradition and systems and, you know, the market high street, you know, all these things um, should be there backing you up and we really don't have that. So we're trying to piece together, you know, from the rubble, <laughs> you know, trying to reassemble this, yeah. um, this kind of lifestyle that, that we really have no history, you know, familiar to ourselves to go on. You know, we're hearing about things like yeah. making beer that we've only ever associated exactly. with like big factories and, you know, so, um, I, if, for people who are listening to this, then this is all the recording is already up and, um, uh, for the patrons can go in and listen to it, but the, for you and me in the recording timeline, Allison, we're upcoming to when we're going to be doing the live cooking, cooking demo. And, um, the suences make me think about something that I made just so I could kind of hold it up in front of the camera and show it as an example. Um, but there's this mm. called haymakers oat water. And I've seen that in our traditions. Yeah. yeah. Now that you're describing suens, I'm thinking, I'll bet this was kind of the descendant of the suens because you basically take the oats and kind of soak them in the water. Um, and you drink that runoff. So I wonder if it's kind of a, a leftover piece of that, you know, a descended. Yeah. How, how long do you leave them in the water for? Do you know? Okay. Well, she, her recipe said like a day, but yeah. I don't, and there was no way in it. I was not really seeing how it was possible or what, you know, I, I didn't add way to it, but I don't know. Even when we just make a regular, I think you, you asked on something else about the, the way ice cubes. Um, yeah. And freeze them. Cause we didn't yeah. get to freezes. Yeah. Part of why I do that is because, um, well, when I, whenever I do my dairy making day, then we end up with like a lot of whey all at once. And so I just freeze it in ice cube trays and dump the ice cubes into jars or bags. And then whenever, like if I make a tumbler of a drink, anything, and just grab a whey cube and throw it in there. So okay. no matter what it is, we end up with some whey. So for, <laughs> for me to see a drink that doesn't have you automatically add in the whey is almost impossible for me to stop myself yeah. because there's nothing that we drink that doesn't have whey in it. Um, can you hear my kids yelling? They're right outside the window. No, like in the no. Okay. Um, all right. So let me ask you a question now. <laughs> um, I actually want to ask about the eggs. Do you get the eggs from your farmer or from the farmer's market? Where do you get your eggs from? Yeah, we get them. We get them from the farmer's market. Okay. When we go to um, the farmer's market on a Thursday night here, there's three farmers who are there every week, two guys and one girl. And we, I go to every, each of them, you know, I want to buy something from each of them each time we go. Because okay. it, I just don't want to support everyone. I want to support so them great. And um, two of them consistently have eggs. One of them, the, the woman, um, the girl, has also has um, massive, massive, massive um, eggs from ducks and geese eggs, which is huge, which sometimes I treat myself to this this huge egg that I have to carry home really carefully because it doesn't fit in any box. <laughs> but generally we get our eggs from, from them every week along with all of our um, 
bitch. Okay. She's really nice. Yeah. I was just trying to not you. You get them from just out the door. I was trying to picture Rob running down the hill. I was like, how does he do it? Yeah, with, with an egg. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, we just get him on the chickens. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. That's great. Nice. We're getting um, close to time. I've got I've yeah. got a few more questions that I'm okay. not gonna squeeze in for you. Okay. Um the apple jelly and the apple sauce. Yeah. What do you what do you use those for in different kind of when when does the apple sauce come in and when does the apple jelly come in? Um, okay. Different things. Applesauce is one of my favorite little desserts. Cause you can just heat it up and have a bowl. Um, you know, after dinner, it's really easy. You don't, there's don't have to make anything and it's just right there. Okay, and it's, yeah. you know, kind of sweet and cinnamony. Um, and I, well, I like mine kind of chunky. Uh, I'll make some jars like, Oh my goodness. Sorry. My alarm just went off telling me to turn yeah. off the drip lines. <laughs> um, I forgot that was set. I better change that. <laughs> um, the, wow, I lost my train of thought. What were we talking about? <laughs> you were talking, that's a really good question. Apple I asked you about your apple sauce and your yeah. apple jelly and how you like to, to eat the sauce oh. or cinnamon oh, really man. easily after dinner. Yeah. And you can, you can add some fat to it if you want by just whipping some cream and put some cream on top. Yeah. Um, or you can, I've toasted, you know, you can toast some like leftover oats or um, like make basically a crumble to put on top. Nice. Um, I'll, like if you take the leftover oatmeal casserole or something, maybe leftover oats that you've cooked and just like crumble them up in the pan, toast them in, you know, then you could put them on top. I don't know. That's what I like it for. Um, and the jelly, it, I don't know, just put it like on toast or something. Oh, I see. More like a, it's because jelly's jam in, Amer in American English, isn't it? Oh, wait. What's jelly where you are? Jelly is uh, uh, <laughs> a gelatin dessert that is molded oh. into a particular shape oh. and you have it with ice cream. Okay. That makes sense because... Um, Remember I told you about Kitty Bloomfield and she keeps saying, oh, you can make these, you know, fruit jellies. And then she posts a picture of like, you know, cubes of, yeah, you know, gelatin. Yeah. I, I guess we just, <laughs> <laughs> we just call it Jello, which is the brand name okay. of the powdered yeah. stuff, even though nobody's, nobody that I know, I guess nobody's really using the actual Jello, but it's just become such a ubiquitous term. <laughs> we call it Jello. <laughs> Oh, I get it now. Funny. I get it now. Okay, so it's apple jam. Yeah, and yeah. Apple sauce. Nice. Okay, then let Wonderful. me let me. Do I have time to ask yeah. you um, one or two more questions? Yeah, today? go on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, go on. Okay. Um. All right. So you you kind of explained the SWATs and the Suins, so I mm. won't I won't go on that. And hopefully that link will be up. So I'm I'm hoping that the yeah. link is going to be up in time when this goes up, so we can tag it in the show notes. Otherwise, I guess we could just say go to ancestralkitchen.com and look and see if it's there when this goes up. Yeah. Um you okay, so you did refer to polenta. You said ground um you had ground barley that was barley. fermented. Yeah. Okay. And you're yeah. going to cook it into polenta. I thought polenta do you mean you're going to cook blah. Isn't polenta corn? <laughs> so this i explain this in my video which i filmed okay, have okay. maybe, I, maybe yeah. I should say go through the film <laughs> yeah, no but polenta is traditionally tied with corn so everyone thinks of polenta as, as a corn dish right but right. traditionally here in italy obviously where the word polenta comes from 
polenta has been made with with anything, you know, with, oh. with chestnut flour, with wheat so, flour, oh, with anything. Wow. Polenta is just the so generic dish. It's the kind of consistency in the dish. Uh, um, but, I mean, most people associate it with corn now. Most times now in Italy it's been made with corn. But historically it was made, a dish like that was made with whatever was available. You know, if you lived in Tuscany and you were poor, you had loads of chestnuts later in the year and then you just grind them up into flour and make polenta with chestnut. Okay. So um, we make this kind of polenta with um, the barley grains that we buy whole and then we grind them up in our manual grinder quite coarsely and then I'll make that up into a polenta on the stove which will eat hot and then I'll use the leftovers in a loaf tin to make a bread which okay. is such a lovely process because it's a bit like your mm-hmm. casseroles in a way in that you've got leftovers. And so mm-hmm. I then chop that um, polenta bread, as, as I call it, because I've shoved it in a loaf and pushed it down, made it look like a loaf right. of bread. Um, I slice that and then we can eat it cold really, you know, as a five-minute kind of meal available. Yeah. Or very often I'll fry it and so then the outside goes crispy, the inside warms up, so it's all soft. And then serve that as the carbohydrate portion of, of a meal. And if I make a big loaf, we have that. I mean, it lasts us at least four or five days in the fridge afterwards from one cooking session, really. Um, wow. And I, I love it so much that I just, this is why I wanted to make the videos and put them hopefully up on, on the homepage. Yeah. Because it's such a good process and it's so easy. And I don't think many people are using it. And you don't have to have your own grain grinder. You can buy flour. You know, you can buy right. flour, right. barley flour, and just make it with, with barley flour or oat flour or millet flour or whatever flour you want to make it with. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait to see that because I, I don't know that. <laughs> I would love to learn that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's, si- it's simple, simple. The videos aren't long. So um, okay. it'll be awesome when they come out to be able to share them. Yeah. It, is, it does seem kind of crazy when you try to teach or talk about, you know, I have so many people who say, um, you know, can you teach me how to make sauerkraut or can you, you know, show me and, and really when it gets down to it, it is, it's just, it's almost feels like, well, what, what am I going to say? You know, you chop it, you salt it, yeah. you let it sit, you know, but the, the I think, um, Tara Couture said it really well on slow down farm said when she said, you know, it's, it's not hard it's just different and that's a lot of this is it's just um it's just different than what we're used to and we can and and it becomes a habit yeah just make it a habit and then it becomes not different for you and so much of something all different different yeah exactly and so many of the things that we went over here are just like rolling rotational um, constantly repeating, like if, if I come back and ask you in a year, you're probably going to have a lot of the same things on this list, I agree. Yeah. you know, and in fact, that might be an interesting thing to do, make a list at a different point in the year and make a list again, you know, next year, because um, it, it's some of it sounds really complicated, but at the end of the day, it's just really simple, slow processes. And um, like you said, it's, so much of history, the carbohydrates or grains were such a primary part of our diet that if we Mm. weren't able to add value to them and, you know, 
make them more digestible and make them more nutritionally bioavailable, um, it would be quite hard for humans to survive. So we do see a lot of times in history where we have to, basically you're adding nutritional properties to your food with the processing. And now it's weird because in the modern world, food processing strips the nutritional value out of food. Yeah. It's the reverse. Yeah. I, I remember writing a blog article about six months ago called Eat More Processed Food. Mm-hmm. And just the definition yeah. of processing food yeah. that we have now is completely night and day from what mm-hmm. processing food was in the past. Yeah. And you're right. It's, um, it was necessary. Definitely. And it's remember, necessary to us in our lifestyle now. Yeah. For us, you know, personally. Yeah. That post you did. I, I do remember that. Yeah. Eat more processed food. We always think, you know, eat on processed food. That's kind of like the, the hue and cry of today, but it's actually, mm-hmm. if you look at our list, I'm looking at your list. There's very little on your list that is not processed. I mean, you put radishes, tomatoes, but I yeah. know by the time you eat those, they're, they're yeah. probably going to be processed in some way. Yeah, exactly. My eggs will be very quickly processed, but mm-hmm. a lot of the fruit and the veg will be processed as well. And I'm going to be making some yeah. beet kebabs with beetroots. I'm going to be making fermented carrots with the carrots. Yeah. You know, it goes on and on. Yeah. You'll be, yeah, th- those vegetables will become, you know, better. For, again, there's this concept of, you know, oh, I can look at the um, nutritional content of a carrot and say, great, when I eat that, I'm getting all of that. But sometimes we forget. Yeah, you don't, we don't always have the mechanism to extract all the nutrition from these foods. So it may exist in them, you know, like grains is such a great example. They have so much great nutrition in them. Yeah. But a lot of it is literally not accessible by our gut until it's yeah. been processed. And um, that's, that's a really, really important part of the conversation to not leave out when we talk that's about right. values, bioavailability. We right. need to end, I think. We've yeah. been going on. Somewhere. Yeah, we're good. I think but we're good. Then, I'm, yeah. Nice. I'm good. Thank you very much for sharing with me what's in your fridge. Yeah, thank you. Uh, now I just wish that I was come over, coming over for lunch or dinner, but you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll see, <laughs> see what happens in our future. Um, okay, well, yeah, indeed. thanks again to the patrons who are sponsoring this podcast, making it hit the airwaves and bring it to all thank of Thank you our- to everyone who, who writes and says how much they're liking. Oh my word. Doing. Yeah, if you are enjoying it, thank you so much for sending in those notes. That means everything. Um, and I really, really appreciate all those um just little little notes of encouragement so thank you everyone yeah me too for, for that okay allison i'll talk to you, I'll speak I'll you, next talk time. you soon <laughs> bye yeah. bye Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to continue the conversation. Come find us on Instagram, Andrea's at Farm and Hearth and Allison's at Ancestral underscore Kitchen. Until next time, we both wish you much fun exploration and satisfaction in and out of the kitchen.